This podcast proudly sponsored by Milwaukee Magic Cards and Games. In the Milwaukee area, come see us in our historic Bayview location. Find us online at milwaukeemcg.com or look for Milwaukee Magic Cards and Games on Facebook. Not in the Milwaukee area, there are still plenty of deals to be had at wearerpg.com. That's W-E-A-R-E-R-P-G.com. And coming soon, redwizardgames.com, your one-stop shop for all your gaming needs. Are you ready? Are you really ready? Can you dig it? Because of the obvious threat to untold numbers of citizens, and because of the crisis which is even now developing, this radio station will remain on the air day and night. Can be happening, man. Can be happening. What is up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 13 of Mana Screwed. I am Tangent. With me once again is the Beamy. Good evening, everyone. All right, and uh, this week we are here once again to astound and amaze you with news and information from around the Magic Universe, and for once, I really mean that. So, uh, let's just go ahead and get in. Well, actually, I, you know, did you want to go ahead and just throw out our our email so that people can actually get a hold of us? We didn't have any email after last episode, and I'd like to see a few more this time, so we'll throw it out nice and early. The email is manascrewed at gmail.com. All right. And uh, you can also hit me up on Twitter, TangentDYN on Twitter, and TangentDYN on Magic Online. And your Twitter is, once again? The Beamy, and also my uh, MGO account is The Beamy also. Sweet. All right, so we have a ton of information to get to this week. We have the Beamy has been working himself overtime to try and come up with information for us to talk about, and we have news articles coming out our nose. So let's get started. Um, uh, let's see, we've got some information that you sent to me regarding uh, Scars of Mirrodin having two different types of booster packs. Uh, why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Well, MTG Salvation has had um, articles on this. Um, there's a post in there regarding it that there's two different types of factions, uh, Mirrodin and Perexia, uh, which would be interesting because one would be led by Elsvet and the other one would be led by Tezareth. And it would be interesting if they did booster packs separately like that because then you would have to buy packs for what you're building for, which I think would be interesting. I don't know, I, and a lot of people have been saying this might be a one-time money grab by them. I'm not 100% sure about that. It kind of concerns me because, you know, you go to your store, and what if your store, the guys are all buying Tezzeret packs, and all of a sudden you're left with Elspeth packs? How's right. How's work? Yeah, if it's, a, if it's one-sided, that's going to end up hurting really badly because they're going to end up having to dig a ditch somewhere in the middle of the desert and burying the other half of the packs. 
what so so this is speculation at this point or this is an actual rumor that there's some truth behind possibly do you know is this someone did someone make this uh, does it sound like this is something that someone made up or is this something where there might be some real value to it well there's some debate on this um uh, mr orange guy who does the weekly um, the YouTube cast, The Magic Show, Evan and Irwin, yeah. Man and Evan, and then uh, Man Nation's Trick Jarrett, they've been discussing this about it, saying, you know, well, what if this is actually true? And uh, the, ma- the Evan and The Magic Show, he's believing that it's very possible this could happen, which would be very unique. Uh, you know, that's the one beautiful thing about the Internet is that there are so many people out there that get information and to have two sources like that to both kind of say that this could happen would be very, very interesting. That sounds, that sounds, yeah, exactly. With with multiple sources reporting the same thing, it sounds very likely that that's going to happen. Now, you are hesitant about it simply for the fact that, that what if the packs that you want, want aren't there? Is that... Well, and also, uh, Magic sold everywhere. It's not just sold in your local retailer. It's sold at Target and Walmart and so on and so forth. They dedicate a row or a hook for their cards. Right. Now, you're going to force them to put up two hooks and split them up, and the people that are putting them up there... They're just stockers. They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're looking for. They just they open the box and shove the packs up there. So you're expecting them to go, oh, wait, I have to put this set of packs on this hook and this set of packs on another hook. Minimum wage doesn't pay me enough. No. <laughs> no. And, and I've, done, I've done a lot of work at uh, both Walmart and Target, and believe me, they work – these overnight people that work some hours, they work – crazy hours like 10 o'clock till 6 in the morning or 8 in the morning or whenever that first shift comes in and it's all inventory stocking from the minute they get in to the minute they leave and I I don't want them stocking packs of you know Parexia at 4 in the morning going it's 2 hours till I go home I don't <laughs> right. care where they go well you know I, I see that point and I, th- I agree I think I guess what I would say in defense of Wizards is th- is that lately when they make a mistake they fix it right away. At least this won't be something where if if it doesn't work out they probably won't continue down that path for very long because they they're not going to make as much money and we've seen them do things in the past where they turned a lot of people off and this if this is one of those things. Now on the other hand it could be something that people love, and maybe people will find that they do fall into one category or the other, and would much rather just buy packs that, because because you can you can view it that that well you know what if all these are sold out from from the one that I want, but at the same time if if that pack narrows down the cards you're looking for even more, then it gives you more of a shot of finding the one you want rather than you know trying to buy a, buy a regular booster. And dealing with 300 cards that you're looking through, maybe you're only looking through 150. You know, it's it's it gives you just you know twice the shot. If if I'm understanding the way they're going to be separating this, and like half the cards are in one side and half are in the other, it just seems, I agree with that. Yeah, I mean, 
if you if you're rare hunting, it gives you a little chance, a little bit more chance to get what you're looking for. And also, if you're if you're also mythic hunting, you know, you think your odds of getting a mythic. Um, I speaking of odds of getting a mythic, I was watching on Twitter. I was watching uh, one of the stores. They went through boxes as they opened up, and it took the guy eleven boxes to get every card in the set. Wow! To get every mm-hmm. card, just a one of. One of every card, wow. and he was down to I forget which one of the mythics he was looking for. It was like Baneslayer and something else that he was looking for, and it was weird because you think about that as a normal person. You know, if you're lucky enough to buy a box, you're like, you know, what am I going to get in here? Right. I think this is a guy who's selling cards for a living, and he had to go through ten just to be able to say, look, I have the complete set right now. Yeah, exactly. A one of. I mean, that's, and and I know that could very easily be possible. Considering I went through probably six boxes of shards of Alara, I would say somewhere in that area, and never got one Tezzeret, and I only saw one Ether Sworn Canonist, and that's just a rare. So I know, you know, I never got a Tezzeret, which is fine because I wouldn't have used them anyway, but. It's just the idea that in trying to complete a set, I went through six boxes of Alara and still never came across one. So this goes back. This goes back to what we were talking about with these two different types of booster packs. Potentially, you need that Tezzeret. You really want that Tezzeret. Oh yeah, now <laughs> now you know now you know you're buying Prexia packs. Right. Now you've narrowed it down to like you said, a hundred and hundred and some odd cards. I've got a better chance to hit it. Absolutely. And it could make for, yeah, it could make for very interesting buying. I, I personally, is it risky? Yes, but also could this be wizards leaking this out to see how people react to it? And could. if it goes, because the this is the second set of scars. This is the one that's in production or should be almost should be done with production as far as the cards go right but not the final packaging or whatever they're doing with it so they could float this out now before scars is sold and go well the second set will have two different types of booster packs what do you think and now you've got a large enough time frame that people can go oh you're really risking this and then they go okay well we're just gonna put everything back in one booster pack and away we go right yeah exactly i mean the way I see it is it, it could very well be a good thing. It could be a bad thing. The, the main thing that we're going to have to worry about is that they get the set even to where to where it's not, you know, the, the Bane Slayer is, isn't on one side while the Sarah Angel's on the other side. You know, that's as long as, as the, the card pool is somewhat evenly matched between the two, and people are going to desire cards from both sets, then it w- shouldn't be that big of a deal. If one side is weighted more heavily, uh, then th- it's just going to make it to where no one wants the other side, and that's that's where the problems will be. So hopefully that, hopefully they figure that out. I mean, I'm sure that they've thought a lot about it if that's what they intend to do. And also the other thing is is the color base for it. All suddenly. Does Tezzeret being the old Tezzeret having two and two blue or four and two blue, 
is this now all the good blue cards are going to be over there? Can they split up enough of each color, like you said before, between the Sierra Angel and the Baneslayer? Can they split up enough of those cards to make them both functional yet equal? And right. that is going to be very difficult because if you sit Tezzeret and say, okay, Tezzeret's four and two blue, and we're going to put all the good blue cards over here, and let's say they come up with, instead of Mana Leak, let's say they use, not that they'll ever do it, let's say they go Counterspell. Okay. Everybody's going to buy it because blue is the color to play. Right, exactly. Love blue. Yeah. So now suddenly people are buying this because your standard players want blue, and if there's very little blue on the Phyrexia side, you're going to get that misbalance too. So yeah, exactly. Well, same thing with, I mean, if they throw Affinity in there, which, I, I mean, who really thinks they would, but if they did do something like that, that's somewhere where people are going to be racing for. It really doesn't matter what's in the other side. You know, it's just people believe... Even the people who don't haven't used Affinity have heard so much about it that they just automatically will believe it's broken if it's in the set. And that's, you know, I mean, everyone's heard of Affinity, even if they don't, they didn't play with it or they didn't see how broken it was. There's a lot of things that could happen. I don't know. I'm curious to see what happens. But, you know, there's, there's, uh, I guess more pressing issues going on right now, though, considering there's news of possible M11 shortages. Is that correct in Europe? An, another one of our another one of our articles from MTG Salvation. Um, they're saying that there's M11 shortages in Europe. Potentially, uh, certain countries running out completely, and Wizards not having enough print to get it out there. Uh, my concern with that is is how that could affect I mean I know worlds is a far way away but how does this affect people over in those countries that need the cards to get them and what price are they going to pay for them well see what I like to think is happening is that Wizards being a US based company of course with worldwide ties but the US based company is we're stacking the deck in our favor Right, so we're making it to where they can't get the cards, and therefore all of our players are going to have a leg up when it comes to worlds. Well, that would be really nice, <laughs> but the but the problem is, is if you've noticed who's won worlds lately, it hasn't been exactly represented by the U.S. Right, exactly. Uh, well, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> somehow, somehow, I think I think the parent company Hasbro would go. Wait a minute, we need to make more money off of this. But yeah. Yeah. I've talked about this with the with the guys at the store um, previously about how Wizards distributes product, and they they have kept it where it's not always accessible, but they don't want to be stuck with a set, stuck with too much product. They'd rather have enough but not too much, and they want it to sell. And that probably is coming down from Hasbro right. more than anything else. So that's why I believe that, yeah, is it very possible? Yes. And with all the stuff that you've heard and I've heard and everybody else has heard that as far as M11 goes, as far as for a set like it is, that it's the best set made for this set, 
kind of set. Therefore, people are going to want to get their hands on it. Right. Yeah. I don't doubt it. But that's those are the two main news things that I heard that I thought was very, very important this week as far as the news goes. Yeah, I think, and I still, you know, regarding that, I think it's it's very important, you know, to understand that, it, like you're saying, it will be hard for them to be able to get access to the cards. Luckily, they have the same access to, you know, the Internet and the card stores that we have. As long as the shortage doesn't end up coming here, there will still be cards available. Um, the the one thing that, that uh, I would say is it is a little bit surprising having with M10 and Zendikar both having shortages at one point in time, that they would not ramp it up. I I, I was under the impression that, that the M11 had been really planned on, you know, having a big sale. And so I, I was under the impression that they had tried to look at, like, what happened with M10 and Zendikar and make those changes. But hopefully, you know, I mean, as, as sad as it is for Europe... Uh, hopefully they do not make that same mistake here, and hopefully the supply, at least in the United States, still you know doesn't doesn't start getting to the point where everything's sold out. Because if it does, then you will be talking about a shortage across the board on cards, and you know Europe can still buy a card from here, but if we don't have cards either, then that's going to make things more difficult for everyone. Much less well, the people that can't afford to spend a hundred and fifty dollars on a card. Well, here's the thing. This is this is from the exact article. Um, it is going, but it's now confirmed that M11 will not be available from the distributors in Europe till at least the beginning or possibly middle of September. Wow. This is for the English version of M11. German, French are still available. The set was practically sold out within the first week, and WotC doesn't have any stock left now. <laughs> so wow. that is is very, very interesting. Um, again, I spoke to our sponsor. Yes. And they aren't having any problems with product, and that's a good thing. Yes, I just, it is. I just feel that if people start worrying about stuff, that can artificially drive a price up on stuff. Exactly, that's a problem. It's a real problem for people that, like I said, can't afford to spend a ton of money on cards, too. You know, uh, the pro player who's who's making a couple grand a tournament is that's it's a little easier for them to be able to spend a lot of money on cards. That's their lifestyle. Not to mention the money they make through writing articles and things like that. But you know, your average person trying to go to an FM F and M they're they're selling their entire collection just to get one Jace the Mind Sculptor as it is. Now, how hard is it going to be if the core set is that way? Well, like I said, hopefully that this is a temporary shortage and not a long-term shortage of it. But it seems like, at least from what it seems like Wizards is presenting, is M11's, M11's here... But it seems like their real focus seems to be on Scars of Mirrodin. Oh, yeah. And it just seems like, here's M11. This is great. It's a core set. You'll love it. But now here comes Scars of Mirrodin. And we'll talk about that more in another podcast down the line of what possibilities Scars of Mirrodin could be. Because you talked about Affinity before. And, 
oh boy, here we go again. Right. So, right. But but that's that's saying it it could be very interesting. I, I from everything I understand is that the the regular sealed pools and the drafts and all the normal stuff that goes on there has no issue of it as of right now. Uh huh. But in a month, who knows? Yeah, who knows? I don't know, man. I don't know. It's going to be interesting, and we'll follow it, and we'll continue to report on it. So that's one one good thing about us talking about it on here. So, um, next on the agenda. Uh, we had some cards to talk about. Did you want to uh, get into that? Yeah. Um, Ed Black, who is the card guru at Milwaukee Magic Cards and Games, he he gave me a list of six cards that that he feels what their outlook is of it as of when he sent this was, which was before the reports came out from Japan. And before the reports came out from uh, from Japan and from was that uh, Pittsburgh for the yeah. Pro Tour qualifiers, right? So this is beforehand. His opinion may have changed from it between now and then, but we'll, we're going to go through him, what he said. Um, I kind of wish I, that I had had a, been able to talk about this beforehand because it's very easy for me to go back and say I don't necessarily agree with that now. But I, I didn't really agree with this first one then, just because I, I, I just from the the people that have talked about it and the logic that it that they used was hard to argue. But aside from that, again, this guy knows his stuff too. So feel free. You're t- number one being the uh, is that what you were? Primeval Titan, right. which is the, and we'll talk about this later with some of the decks that came out from. Uh, especially Pro Tour Japan, which was Titan Titan City for the top eight. Um, right. He believes to sell it now. He says everyone is saying Turbo Land, but if you take the turn to play him four when you're winning the game, you're pushing the critical turn back to turn five. Anakin adds a turn, and Jun doesn't need Accelerate, so they don't use him, and Bant doesn't need him. Right. Um, it is interesting. I, in many ways, that is what he said is absolutely true. Right. They those decks don't need them. Yeah, well, exactly. Turbo Land doesn't need them. We'll just build a new deck around him instead. So you know, it's exactly what we'll talk about with the Titan deck, and right. it should be interesting to see with that one. Now, the next card he brought up was Fauna Shaman. Um, right. He has a he has a hold on it. Um. Everybody's been talking about Fauna Shaman and Venge Vines, and it's funny. Venge Vine is not going away. No. no. It is It is becoming the Bloodbraid Elf of the, that set where every deck seems to have it in it, and I, I have no doubt that if you can use Fauna Shaman to do its tricks and you're beginning to see people develop even more decks with Fauna Shaman than just using Vengevine. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Is like, it's an elf. It's It searches for a creature. Um, it's There's a lot of cards that you can discard that you'd much rather see something better in your hand. Uh, it's, it's a great card. 
you know, a lot of people would say that Lotus Cobra, you know, they um, many people said, oh, it's overrated, it's overrated, it's overrated, and yet you just couldn't help but notice it was in every deck, right? So it's kind of the same way with Fauna Shaman. There are people that are saying it's overrated. There are people saying it's amazing. I think it might fall somewhere in between, but I can tell you that much like Lotus Cobra, it's a really good card. So, well, I'm very happy to be sitting on two of them right now and watching to see what happens. So I'm not going to complain about that at all. <laughs> yeah, absolutely not. The next one is Baneslayer. Um, he even talks about here with M11 already in short supply. Uh, he thinks right now it. It could be as low as it's going to get, so if you're going to buy it, to buy it now. Mm-hmm. But I agree with that. Baneslayer is still an animal to deal with, even yep. with Combust and even with some of these other spells that have been out to destroy it. It's still Baneslayer. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if you, whenever you hear anyone building a deck, the only question that consistently comes up every single time someone builds a deck is, how do I deal with Baneslayer? Baneslayer is the king. I mean, yeah, there are ways to deal with it, but the key is is it's one of the few cards out there that if you do not deal with it, it will win the game. So you have to take care of Baneslayer. And it's, you know, I it was a card that I believed overrated at the very beginning before it came out, and I've eaten my words for a long time now, so... I think you're pretty safe to say that Baneslayer, as long as it's still in standard, is is going to be, like you said, everybody's got to prepare for it, and it's a question of, am I running two, am I running three, or even some people get aggressive and run four in the main deck. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is it is it is funny, and it is, it's scary to see a card that good, and in many ways, I'm glad I don't have one. Because <laughs> with the group I play with, if I brought that thing out, it would be grabbed and torn to shreds. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a hated card as much as it is loved, so I really don't particularly like seeing them. You know, I All I can say is I'm thankful that there are more ways to kill it now, but that doesn't necessarily make it any less of a threat. Again, it's, it's the percentages of you drawing the exact card you need versus him playing it and then yeah. all of a sudden you have that card and now he's not playing it it's just it exactly that. well that's the other thing and it's not like they put they put band slayers in decks where there are no other threats there are other threats and the question is do i deal with that threat or do i wait until band slayer comes down and deal with that and it's just yeah band slayer is a nightmare yes but the card, the next one we're going to talk about is the one i really like and i have brought this up to a couple of people that I know, and I'm still waiting for someone to come up with a deck for it. It did not show up in the Japanese or the Pittsburgh thing, which I am kind of disappointed in, is Grave Titan. Um, he does believe it'll go up um, because between the word, uh, Return of Corrupt, uh, even if your opponent has fat, uh, Path to Exile or Oust um, or Corrupt, 4-4 four, four for black, two zombies, and a swamp is not all that bad. Plus, think about this: turn one duress, turn two sign and blood or doom blade, turn three underworld dreams, turn four consuming vapors, turn five mind sludge, turn six grave titan. Right, and that's and that's if you're going mono mono black, and which which I mean reasonably that's that's a solid play. 
So, you know, if you decide to go mono black, you can get him out on turn six. If you decide to go green black ramp, you can get him out sooner. It's a uh, it's such a beautiful card. It's like almost a perfect card, really. And as soon as it's online, I will be getting them and making them work. It's just it's there's got to be that one person, and I keep mentioning that to the people I talk to. There's got to be one person that's going to be able to figure this out, whether it's green black ramp, or the, whether it's straight mono black control, which you won't have an answer for Grave Triton if you're playing on the if you're playing with no cards in your hand. Right. If you're drawing to have an answer for Grave Titan, you're going to lose. And it, looking at that combination of the within six turns, you could be out of cards and down a significant amount of life with Underworld Dreams. Mm-hmm. No, I, I yeah. Just, now, now I, I have a question here. So I, I didn't have a chance to look over the PTQ's Jund builds. Did did you happen to see if any of the Jund builds were running Grave Titan? Uh, no, the none of the PTQs in Japan or Pittsburgh had top eight Jund. Really? Oh, okay. None, and this is like the first the time Star City uh, tournament that the last Star City tournament that had Jund still. Yeah, but I'm looking at just the last two Pro Tour qualifiers and. Usually those are typically where things are going to go. And right. in a lot of ways, this is no disrespect to our players in America. But Japan always seems to be that one potential step ahead of the curve. Mm-hmm. Every year for player of the year, there's a couple of Americans, a couple of Europeans, and four Japanese always there. Right. Every year. And yes, these guys are devoted, and yes, these guys go play everything. But you can't be in a position to be player of the year if you're not being innovative and on the cutting edge. Right. And I scary to think the thing is that you know, and I've seen people, I've heard people talk about this online where they've they've tried to play Titan Ramp, which we'll talk about later. And it's too slow, and it doesn't work out right. But well, it, all the more works. reason for it to fit into Jund. I mean, think about Jund. Jund was playing Broodmates forever, right? So, so you're talking about a six casting cost with two creatures. Now you're, you're you'd be replacing that with a six casting cost three creatures, ten power instead of eight power, and that ten power quickly becomes fourteen power. I mean, it's, you know, it's, the thing about Jund, and the reason why I even use that, and I, I hate Jund, but the the reason why I use that as an example is because Jund takes advantage of two-for-ones. That's a three-for-one. That's a three-for-one that becomes a five-for-one, and so on. You know, it progressively gets bigger as long as that thing stays on the table, and Jund already being as powerful as it is, it seems like it would just allow them to win. So that's that's one reason why I would I would question that and think that would be something for Jun to play for sure. I know Jun has not been running Sarkon the Mad. And I know they haven't and it's five casting cost and it's quote too high for the Jun curve. Mm, yeah. But my picture of it is 
Sarkon the Mad, Grave Titan, use Sarkon's ability to turn those things into five fives, and now you're sitting there with a six six death touch and two five five dragons. Right. You have no answer for that. Can you make it that long? That's the question. Well, I mean, generally they do. Jund is known for massive amounts of removal, and usually they're going to make it until turn six. But I guess I guess the the question that I would have for for Jund is, you know, or it's not even a question. It's I think they need to think about changing things around, and maybe some have already tried Grave Titan, but I know that it hasn't been out long enough to really give it a serious go. There's got to be someone that's going to to actually try and incorporate it into a deck. Maybe it is some sort of black control deck, uh, such as, you know, you basically alluded to. It, it will be it'll be something. I'm just saying, with, with Jund already being heavy control, really, uh, they it seems like a, an appropriate place for them to fit in. Once again, they ran Broodmates. They could just as easily run Grave Titan, and end up seeing more of an advantage out of it. That's again why I mean I can't I can't possibly disagree with what he said on this is that the value of that's going to go up. I believe because so. somebody's going to break it. Yeah, right. I mean it's 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 too good to be bad. You know, it's too good. It's not that it's bad. It's probably what twenty twenty five dollars right now. It's yeah. just it's it should go up. But someone has to actually make it work first, and I think we'll see that. Um, you know, I've been pretty successful running just mono black, and I would love to have Grave Titan in there. So we'll see how that goes. I honestly believe that it could, if everything goes right, and if there is a mono black or, a, like you said before, black green deck that runs that thing, and it works. I don't doubt it could I as scary as this sounds, I don't doubt that that could be like a forty dollar card. No, I don't uh, look at it this way and it, you know a card that you talked about already um, but that you know we kind of we kind of glossed over it a little bit, you know, it seemed like oh yeah, it'll be good and limited, but not in constructed and i'm I'm slowly changing my mind on that. I think overwhelming stampede could possibly really do something in constructed, and there's a guy right there that could really benefit from overwhelming stampede uh you know your your grave titan all of a sudden attacking with two eight eight zombies would be a pretty sick thing you know it's that the the grave titan it it's just so efficient and that's why it's so good it's so efficient because even if you just get the two zombies out of it you still got two two you know two other creatures out of your grave titan i mean it's 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 a removal target but so is a bane slayer but the bane slayer dies it doesn't leave two two power creatures behind so you know it's just something to think about yep and that's it that goes with the same thing with the and it, again, it's another too high of casting cost called for Jun, but Mycotic Slime does the same thing. Oh yeah, and I don't. I think there are people that are actually, in fact, on the prototype, they they were just discussing that today, saying you need to put that in there. I mean, you're playing Siege Gangs half the time already anyway. And this is a better card. It's more efficient, which is true. What if you would have? What if you would run a Grave Titan? And I'm like, 
mycotic slime together and you're using those even if you use those as sacrificial creatures or if you don't and you get that overwhelming stampede and say you blocked with your thing and split it off into say two two twos and now you're swinging with four two twos and now you overwhelming stampede it now it's now you're swinging with five six sixes right exactly the only thing that would that would the only thing that would save a person in that situation is a piece of removal to hit that grave titan and even then you're still going to be getting pounded with four four fours you know that's still going to be a, a beating right there so there's there's so much that can happen with those cards i you know i totally agree um you know the cards that are more a two for one or more that's what the the formats come down to is things that re with recursion or with you know that you can get a two or three for one out of um but you know speaking of the little bit of tech here that you that you added on to this for the when you were talking about the grave titan one of the cards that you mentioned is the underworld dreams card yes that's number uh, five on the list, I believe. Yeah, um, it's basically selling for nothing right now, and you know he his comment is is it's it's heartbreaking. It never got its due in the land of Jace, and he says if he was going to nationals, he would play mono back control with four of these in the main deck. It's that good. And you think about it, if you use sign in blood, yep, on your opponent with two of those out. Sure, he draws two cards, and card advantage is king. Right. He draws two cards. He gets two life loss for that. He loses another two life for those, or I'm sorry, another four life for those. It's six life for one card. Wouldn't that be uh, eight? Or eight. I'm sorry, eight life. Yes. Eight life. Well, six life for one card. You're right. Yeah, six life for one card. So no, it would be twelve. Yeah, I thought you were saying two sign and blood. So it would be twelve life if you use two sign and bloods on them. But yeah, just one sign and blood would do six damage. You're right. And you lose nothing because there is, and as amazing as this sounds, there is no enchantment removal ever used. Right. Standard decks ever, and you would have to sideboard for it. And if you could play Mono Black Control right now, I don't think there's enough people prepared for it. And something like that could be one of those decks that could just roll through a sector, roll through a, a PTQ, or roll through a national because you're not prepared for it. You're prepared for Red Deck Wins. You're prepared for Jund. You're prepared for now Turbo Land. You're now prepared for all these other decks that you have to worry about and sideboard those cards for. A mono-black control left all by itself with no one prepared for it. Right. You could easily top eight one and have people staring at you going, "How how do I stop it? Right, exactly. I I totally agree. I thought it was kind of funny, actually, since you mentioned not having enchantment removal. I noticed in one of the... I can't remember which deck it was exactly off the top of my head, but one of the, the top eights um, in one of the PTQs 
had a one of Kasali Pride Mage in the sideboard, which I thought was a little bit funny because even if you do have to sideboard it, it the, your chances of actually landing it are so small. It's just, it was kind of amusing. But yeah, that's that's the point. Like a one of Kasali Pride Mage is the only enchantment removal that we saw, other than Oblivion Rings, of course. But even Oblivion Rings, you know, you're you're still so so someone's going to use an Oblivion Ring on your Underworld Dreams, and then you're going to drop a, drave, a Grave Titan a couple turns later. Okay, you know, I'll take that. So you know, I agree. I I understand, and uh, I think that's a it's a really good point. If someone does drop drop Jason Mind Sculptor, it, they're going to pay the price for it with Underworld Dreams down for sure. Yeah, and you think about it, you think how many standard decks, I mean, we're going to go through some of these. You're mm-hmm. going to see three Jace, you're going to see four Jace. It's it's like, for being a $100 card, it's sure a staple in everybody's deck. Yep, it is. And that would be, oh, because you're thinking every time you're doing this, it's like, it, it's, it's like getting... Uh, it's like getting a free um, the the sting uh, uh, the one the next one he's talking about stabbing pain oh stabbing pain yeah yeah uh, he it's it, it's that one ping that one hit constantly and all of a sudden you're looking at your life total and you're not really worrying about it till you get to ten and then you realize it's your turn and it's like oh I'm gonna draw a card and lose three life for that. Right. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I, I, You know, I've tried to work Underworld Dreams personally into some of my decks that I use for what people I play with. Mm-hmm. And to me, it seems like, it seems, oh, it's so slow and it's never going to do anything. Right. With everybody drawing now, it definitely looks like a possibility that it could work. And again... The problem is, is the casting cost. You can only play this in mono black. Right, right. So yeah, no, I I agree. I I think it's you know, but but mono black is out there. It may not be, you know, tier two, but it's tier one point five ish anyway. So you know, it can it can do something. And I still have yet. I I believe that it's it's possible for it to do even more than it's done. I think there's just so many people that that uh shy away from it because of its weaknesses but you know I've won a lot of games off of mono black's strengths you know and so we'll we'll see I mean mind sludge alone is is a very happy card that I don't think too many people can say a whole lot bad about and the one other and the one other card that I would assume he'd have at least two of in the deck that he talks about at the end is the uh the common black stabbing pain and he really likes this card because it does the one thing that nobody wants to go against when you cast a spell is you're tapping my creature. Right, right. So you're sitting there with the Bane Slayer and go, okay, I'll hit it for 1-1, one, one, I'll tap it, you'll do nothing with it. Yeah, I know. I'm See, and I'm, I'm curious about this one. I'm going to have to give that card a test run because although I saw uses for it, I wasn't thinking of it as being a real powerhouse card. So... I'll, I will have to think more on it and see if if that is you know something substantial behind that. I, you can look I, at it I as an offensive point. or a defensive card, right? Uh, as far as 
he's sitting back preventing your guy to come through thinking, oh, I'll attack with my flyers and I'll leave the one guy back with uh, that'll block his creature. Right. You play stabbing pain on him and now he's now wide open. Right. Yeah, see, no, I, I mean, I see that aspect of it. But in that sense, I kind of see it almost as like a fog, which uh, it's a fogs are kind of a frowned upon utility spell because it just doesn't it doesn't you know it's it's so it's the thing i guess i would say is that it's cool because it is an offensive spell if it was solely defensive like a fog then that would be a bad thing the fact that you can use it offensively is what makes it better than a fog but i guess i guess i would just wonder if there's going to be too many times when you're sitting there you know facing the Bane Slayer say, and your only removal is the stabbing pain card when you're just kind of going, God, I really wish this was just a death mark. You know, I, that's the that's the part that I kind of wonder is, is when are you going to wish it was a doom blade or a death mark instead of just a stabbing pain? I mean, is it better to tap the creature or to just kill it? And that's that's the part where where I guess I'm I'm kind of wondering, you know, how I feel about it compared to just a removal. True, but the other thing you have to think of is the same problem black has with removal is black can't remove black. And this card can tap that black mm-hmm. to stop it from killing you. Right. It can, it can shut down a Grave Titan. That's true. For yeah. one casting cost, you've prevented that Grave Titan from doing anything this turn. That that I have yeah I mean I agree with that it will it will buy you an extra turn against against the other black which which would be good if you come across any <laughs> here's my well here's my thought of it especially in draft right you're say you're splashing black which is probably less than likely to happen but if you do. This is a nice late round pick when you're looking at cards and going, I'll never use this card to actually be able to pick a card, say, round 10 mm-hmm. and actually have something with a very low mana cost that could do something. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I, I see its possible advantages in, you know, drafting or sealed, you know, depending Especially if you're removal shy, then you probably would want to go that route for sure. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying it's an overall bad card. I just would have to look more into it because at, at this point I've kind of written it off. But but he brings up some really good points, and I would want to take a look at that. Well, that's the one nice thing about dealing with Ed is that, uh, and and I will ask him more questions too, especially as he starts seeing the deck list that come through and it's like having a third voice right but from someone like yourself that is on that competitive level to have another set of eyes look oh, at I, it and go okay yeah. this doesn't work this does work you know and it's also what he's seeing and what's moving at the shop is is you know what what's coming in what's being traded in what's being looked for and those are the, some of the things that I'm hopefully going to get every week from him to say, you know, this is, you know, you might want to start thinking about this or looking at that because 
the in the any more additional insight you can get is always better and it always helps from someone who literally when you walk into the store if you walked up to him and said Ed what do you think about this and he'll look at you and say this is what I like about it this is what I don't like about it boom and it's not it's not a a lot of a lot of people think and this is again where I get back to what I talked about in the last show is people in magic aren't this way if you ask them a question they're going to give you an honest answer right yeah most are for sure and that's so, the one thing that makes it easy for me yeah that's great so does now when you have a a deck list idea or anything do you often run deck lists by them or, do, or are you just talking about individual cards a lot of times especially with ed is what i'll do is i will have and it's helped a lot on the the pre-releases and the releases when he's been there is that okay this is what my set of eyes see for the cards i want to put together and he'll look at it and say, let me see what you got. And he'll say, this is why this card doesn't work, and this is why you should look at this based on what you're playing. Okay. And it's so nice to get that set of eyes to just say, change this, this, and this, and maybe just two or three cards. But those two or three cards now go to my sideboard, and I'm sitting there playing with them, and I pull the card, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, I really needed this. Right. And that's where his ability to just to be blatantly honest has always been beneficial to me. And when it comes to cards, I mean, I'll have something and he'll go, you're going to get good value for this right now. I don't know if you're going to get good value for it in six months. Why don't you wow. trade it in for something? So he's kind of your, uh, he's your personal stock advisor, basically. Ed Ed has helped me out of numerous situations, and that's the one, again, I said, referring back to the store. He has just been, they've all been basically blatantly honest, and they'll be, you have a question, especially when it comes to cards, or value of your cards, or decks. When Ed's there, he'll answer it, and he'll answer it for you as honestly as he can get, because he's there every night and he's there for every Friday night magic and he's there for all the sealed leagues and all the draft leagues and he's seeing what the people are playing so he's in tune with it really in tune with it at least for the Milwaukee area and for what he gets extended okay well speaking you know of of the uh, Milwaukee magic cards and games um, just real quickly since we're talking about our sponsor, uh, I notice you know that they say they mention uh, that we are RPG.com and coming soon RedWizardGames.com. Can you tell me what those are exactly? Like I, you know, I, since I have had limited actual dealings with them at this point, and I'm, you know, I'm I'm familiarizing myself with the sponsors also, so that other people out there can understand. You know what? What it? What is it? Is uh? What would they find at WeAreRPG.com or RedWizardGames.com, which is coming soon? The WeAreRPG.com is a connection to their eBay site, where they sell where they sell Magic product cards. Uh, they also sell other different things. They also sell their board games and other card right, games all that those they play there too. Significant things, yeah. Yeah, and <laughs> the one nice thing about them is. Is they do two ninety nine 
shipping flat flat rate shipping. Oh, really? Nice. That's awesome. And it's USPS, and they they protect your cards. They put it in a, a safe envelope. They use cardboard around it, and then they put it in a in a um, individual card holder uh, for that. So it's not like you they're like if not the lowest, one of the lowest um, shipping price for product anywhere. Okay. And that, if you're buying online, it really helps because a lot of people buy cards, like right. you buy them through eBay, and then all of a sudden the guy's telling you, well, yeah, it's seven ninety five shipping onto this. Well, now this card I thought I bought at a decent price, you're getting really ripped off for and that's the one thing they they do buy it now they do um sometimes they'll sell them in singles sometimes they'll sell them in fours it's really nice and you know their prices are very low on the cards Uh as far as from what i've seen compared to others and like I said, you can't beat the shipping price. Oh, that's awesome! So you're saying if you now if you buy more than one set of cards, is it is it two ninety nine for each set that you buy, or is it just a flat rate two ninety nine for the whole thing? Well, what you what you should do is if you win more than one auction, uh-huh. is to send an email directly to them. Okay, and then they can work with you on that. Okay, cool. Um, that, so there is so there is some way to work with you regarding like shipping more than one thing then. Absolutely, absolutely, okay. uh, no doubt about that. And the uh, Red Wizard Games is going to be for their for their actual board card game department okay. that they have. Um, is that going to be also on eBay then, or no? That'll be a separate thing. That's, that'll be a separate okay. site for them. You'll be able to see every game they sell. Um, you know, descriptions of the game, uh, details of the game. It's it's almost like having a direct connection to I'm going to use the site that I use that I, when I look at a game and I want to buy it, I go to the review. It's called BoardGameGeek.com. Nice. And they do reviews on basically every board game that's ever been made. And they have a rating system on a 0 to 10 ratio of games as far back as, I mean, I joke about this with uh, – I joke about this with my wife, is uh, I like the original careers. Okay. And not the new one. Okay. The newer one. So this is, they actually reviewed both of those games, and the older one got a two-point higher rating than the newer one. So, I mean, but getting back to their site, that's the kind of, you'll get descriptions of what the game is. You'll have, you know, to be able to see... You know, reviews of the game, pictures of the game. It's going to be a great site when it's fully completed, and I believe, if I'm not correct, it should be done by potentially the end of this month. Oh, very nice, very nice. Well, coming soon anyway. And so, definitely check out our sponsor. Uh, some great stuff there, and great info from the BME here. So, you know, check them out when you can. Uh, should probably, uh, you know, move on to. Let's see. We've got some some decks that you wanted to talk about. Yeah, let's 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 go to um, let's go let's go to Japan right away. Um, their top eight for their PTQ had 
they had six of the top eight had some form of Titan in it, and it was the green one. Um, the other two decks were Red Deck Wins. Not a surprise anymore to see Red Deck Wins in the top eight. And Super Friends, which remarkably made a return because I haven't seen Super Friends do anything in at least a month and a half. But the one that won it was a deck called Titan Ramp, and that deck was quite fascinating to me. Uh, it runs it runs four Avengers of Zendikar, four Primeval Titan, and four Siege Gang Commanders. And it runs to get its ramp up. It gets four Kalani Hearts, four Harrows, and the card I think is going to be highly underrated but used a lot in this case for Cultivate. Awesome card. For Explore, for Rampant Growth. Yeah, it like seems like the most simple deck in the world, but it's yes. uh, it, it's uh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, look the cards that are that are creatures that are being used alone are are sick, but then the alternate win condition of the Valakuts is also a uh, you know there's there's some beef there for sure. And the trick he's using to get his Kalani Hearts up faster is using the Evolving Wilds that you play it, it counts for one trigger, you sacrifice it, you bring out another land, and that's two triggers on Valakut right away. Right. I, I honestly think, I know the reason why they use Harrow is because Harrow's at instant speed. My only fear with Harrow is, and, and it Manalik fears me with Harrow. You Harrow, you cast a spell, he mana leaks it, you're sacrificing land. Right. That'll kill you. Yeah. Um, that, it, it, is a, it, it is an interesting point. And the other thing, I guess, it, it was a little surprising to me that it's it's just straight up forest, mountains, evolving wilds, terramorphics, and it's not other fetches. I was a little surprised at that because you can also get the expeditions up by using other fetch lands. You know, um... Yeah, the the Harrow is a dangerous card with with mana leak out. the 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 other thing I guess I would say is maybe he wasn't expecting to see a lot of it yet, um, and he won, so he did something right. Now now just winning doesn't necessarily mean that it's perfect, but he he had the right idea, and maybe he also could have been waiting to use Harrow. Until he w- felt safe enough, like maybe you know he used Harrow when he got to six mana. And obviously, you can't always wait. But if they're tapped out, as it's an instant, you know, I mean, who's going to Harrow if there's a blue and a you know anything, a blue and something else open? You know, no one's going to going to do that at this point. So he was probably if he, if he had the Harrow, he was probably waiting until they tapped out, right, and then and then Harrowing. Knowing that that they wouldn't be able to do anything in response, and it's funny because the other the the next Titan they have is Turbo Titan, which is a blue green deck um, using one Avenger Zendikar, Zendikar, four Lotus Cobras, four Oracles of Moldiah, four Primeval Titans, but it's ramping into Emrakul, Kozilek, and Ulamog, yep. and it runs three Jaces. 
Three mind sculptors. Surprise, surprise. Yes. Uh, the typical, uh, the typical lands of cultivate, explore, rapid growth. He runs three Jaces, three time warps. Yep. I played this deck just recently, as a matter of fact. Really? Yeah, yeah. Not, not, I didn't play it myself. I played against it, so. Okay, and how do you feel about it? Um, I beat it twice when it was going to the turn that it would have won the next turn had I not beaten it. And I feel that it's it's great and it will basically kill you in one turn. So, you know, it's 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 very solid. I, I can't I can't complain. It's winning, you know, PTQs and stuff. Um this this deck using obviously more what I would have expected in the other deck using the Misty Rainforest and the fetch lands. Um it's it's really solid. Um the only thing I would say is you know, they need time to get everything ready and mm-hmm. in the meantime, you know, they're n- they're not going to sack their Lotus Cobra to to your beaters unless they absolutely have to. So they don't really have a lot down while you're beating on them. And if you can beat fast enough, then you can beat them before they can go off. That's that's kind of the key that you have to be able to beat them. Uh, really, unless you can somehow control what they're doing, you've just got to have an aggressive enough beatdown deck to be able to kill them before they can, they can go off. Because once they go off, they go off all at once, and you're going to die the next turn is really what it all comes down to. Which so. brings which brings me to the deck that I think that could have won it, which is Titan Force, and that runs two Frost Titans, which everybody panned as the worst card in the deck set as far as Titans go. Right. Two Primeval Titans, two into the Royal. <laughs> into the Royal, very underappreciated. Oh yeah. Four Lightning Bolts. There takes care of the early beaters. Four Mana Leaks. So there goes your ability to do that. Three Garooks, four Jaces, Cultivate, and the card I think that is going, another one of those cards that could just be if they get, let's say they get Primeval Titan out. Yeah. And the next turn he casts Destructive Force. Right. His guy brings out two lands. Where is your mana coming from? Oh, yeah. That's I'm I'm really surprised that you know you haven't seen more of this also because that to me seems like one of one of the most effective strategies that they've there's been in quite some time. I mean, to be able to ramp into a destructive force and secure your ability to have more land while at the same time removing your opponent's land that is that's well. It's always been a game breaker in the past. Uh, you know, card advantage is important. Well, it's also important to have land, and you know, it's that's that's why land destruction. You know, it's so hard to make decent land destruction cards because Wizards has already seen how effective land destruction can be. So they they did this one at what they believe is a respectable price, you know, seven, it costs seven. So it costs a lot. 
and they think that that's you know not too much of a of a benefit for that cost but man that's vicious that's a vicious card especially like I you think, said with I a tight that one could oh sorry no 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 i was just i was just agreeing with you more so go ahead i think that one can be very broken and i think that one could be again it's another one of those cards that yes if you're that late into the game and he has the ability to play that card and then still have Jace on the board, okay, fine. So now I'm sitting with two mana and I attack with my Titan and now I have four mana and I'll use Jace to look at the top cards and I'll get what I want on top and I'll take care of it that way. I am surprised it didn't win. I'm I'm surprised, but I I can see. I mean, it's really hard to argue even with the simplicity of the of the deck that did win. I mean, for one thing, he's only running two colors of mana, which means he's going to have more opportunity to, to hit the mana he needs to hit when he wants to hit it. Um, you know, the thing the thing that I think is funny about these, and you know, running Jace the Mind Sculptor allows you to do so much that you wouldn't normally do. I mean, again, in this sideboard, like I mentioned, the Kasali Pride Mage, one of before. In this sideboard, one of Mold Shambler. Well, the, the only reason you're ever going to see that if you need to sideboard it in is because you're running Jace. You know, it's just it's just kind of a. Uh, it's interesting to me that Jace allows you to do so much different. I mean, normally if you're going to sideboard a Mold Shambler, you got to do at least two, three Mold Shamblers to really know that you're going to see it when you need it. And it's just funny to me. Jace, Jace definitely allows you to do some different things. Now I mentioned I, I don't uh, like that card. No, you've, you've <laughs> mentioned it before. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. The other thing I'd like to look at real quick and go through it with is, amazingly enough, Red Deck wins, and they put a card in there that when I first saw it, I didn't know if people would play it, but it definitely fits in the deck. He put two Ember Haulers in the deck. And that's the one that's two red, it attacks for two, and if you pay one and sacrifice it, it does two to a creature or a player. Right. Fits in perfectly with red deck wins, fits at that cost curve that you want, and it does two for one. No, I think it's I think it's amazing. I, do you know now, I mean, obviously it doesn't say right here, do you know what um, what he was doing with that? No, but uh, it, it he finished third with it, and I my it, it it does so many different functions. It can be instant removal. It could be the extra points of damage you need to finish off an opponent. Right. It does a lot of things. Oh yeah, I I was just curious what he found it to be. Yeah, I mean it's it's obviously a playable card. I was just wondering what he ended up doing with it most, if he even saw it that often, you know. But I wish I wish I knew, but it's again, it's it's Japan, and you, we only get limited details of what's leaked to us right. or what's given to us. Um, I think it's a little interesting that he only ran one Searing Blaze. To me, that card is is to me it's almost better than Lightning Bolt, just because it's. Yeah, it costs two, and yeah, it's circumstantial because you have to have the extra land, but man, to be able to two-for-one like that, it's such a good card. You're drawing in that deck land a lot, and right. when you play that, it, you're playing it early. 
mm-hmm. usually for searing blaze. And you know, I I'm not going to argue with you in that one at all because, um, of course, my problem is is you know I've been fan of lightning bolts since they started oh this right the first right. cards i saw i said oh look one for three yeah hmm. yeah but you look at it like this i mean the, the, a two for one is always better than a one for one right so lightning bolt is is you know is amazing and one of the best cards in the game really for for the cost but when you look at, at it being one red more which when you're running mono red that's what you're going to get anyway. One red more, and you're doing three to the creature and three to the dome. And, and you think, well, yeah, but you're going to use that early game. Well, he's running two arid mesas and four scalding tarns. He can yes. do that anytime he wants to. You know, all he has to do is drop a scalding tarn and not, not sack it and wait until they drop a creature and sack it and boom, you know, searing blaze. I guess I could understand him only running one if he thought he was going to be coming against, uh, a lot of creatureless decks, but it just seems like a, um, it's such a good card. It's hard to not want to play that. The one other card I like that you see in every red deck wins is Teetering Peaks. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. You get Goblin Guide out. Second turn, you've dropped your Teetering Peaks. Boom! The Goblin Guide now hits for four. It, I, it it's so fast, and that's why it, it is. To me, it's a lot of fun, and he's running Pithing Needles, which I, until that card gets out, Red Deck Wins can still be a very viable format. Pithing Needle basically solves their problem when it comes to, I don't want to see this card. Well, yeah, I mean, the one thing I guess I'm surprised is not seeing Leyline the Punishment, and I really expected to see that as a sideboard. I expected to see ley lines as sideboard cards in some of these decks. Um, red deck, it just seems to make sense. I know that you want to see the burn, but would you not want to see the burn as much as you'd want to see a pithing needle? Say, I, you know, it's you. Uh, I, I don't know if you can have a pithing needle in the sideboard. Seems like you would want the ability to use a, a ley line in the sideboard also just so that that way you remove the problem of them being able to prevent the damage. But again, perhaps they knew what the meta was going to be at this thing, and they they knew that there wasn't going to be a lot of damage prevention or life gain that they had to worry about would be the only thing I would, you know, take from that. So if you would keep, let's say you keep the pithing needle, Uh um, and you look at it, uh, forked bolt, take the two out and put the ley line in for the forked bolt, or do you keep the fork bolt because it eliminates little Eldrazi spawn like crazy? Well, um, to be honest with you, well, you got Earthquake in there, and you've got Volcanic Fallout in there. I'd probably take the fork to bolt out. I, it's just, I, I don't, I know that it gets used, but I, I just, it, to me, opening your hand to something that it prevents them from being able to gain life and prevents them from being able to prevent damage. That's a very beneficial card to red. Um, again, it also only matters, though, if damage prevention or life gain is a factor. So if they looked at, if they, you know, were under the impression that the metagame 
was going to have none of that, then there's no reason to play it, and it's a wasted card. So, you know, it, it all depends. It depends. You know, I play, I've play. played many meta games where not only is life gain a huge factor, but more importantly, lots of protection. And, you know, it's not very good when you get, like, a, a firewalker that just, you know, shuts down a ton of your creatures. It's, you know, I granted you can play around that card, but it's still, not only, not only does it shut down a ton of your creatures, but they're gaining life off of every one of your spells. So, it it definitely doesn't help your situation any. No, and I was looking, I looked at the, uh, uh, the Super Friends deck just to see what they did, and... They're running three mana leaks with shock. That is, <laughs> yeah. They've dropped. They dropped the the amount of planeswalkers down to only nine total. Uh-huh. And originally, when it came out, you were seeing twelve, sometimes fourteen planeswalkers in your deck. Right, right. Could and the, it be the that interesting too many. Thing. It could be. It could be. The interesting thing about this one, as opposed to the Pittsburgh uh, one, is that the Pittsburgh one did a similar thing, um, and but they had them in the sideboard. This deck from Japan does not have them in the sideboard, so they just were under the impression that it was too many, and I'm not going to sideboard more in. You know, so which which makes sense if you think about it, because at what point when you're playing a deck, you know, sometimes sometimes one of the problems with people when they're sideboarding cards is they'll they'll put four of everything in the main deck, and then when they realize, well, I want to put these other cards in here, but I really love Elspeth. Oh well, I'll take two Elspeth out for now, and I'll put them in the sideboard. That way, I can put them in later if I need them. Well, the problem is is when are you going to want to sideboard those two more Elspeth back in? It's like if you didn't need them in the first place, chances are you're not going to come across something where two more Elspeth is going to decide, you know, be the deciding factor. If if you need three Elspeth in your deck, you should know that by the time that you go into a tournament. Sideboard cards are usually for situational cards, things that you need to beat a certain type of game. So if, if all you're doing with your sideboard is putting the extra Planeswalkers that you took out of Super Friends, then you're missing some spots in your sideboard that you need for the situational cards, the cards that you need to be able to beat different matchups. Which is why his deck, uh, the the one from Japan, uh, Takata, uh, I give him a lot of credit because, like you said, he went to... This is how many I need of each, and this yep. is what I'm going to run. And he put things in his sideboard that you see. The card that I'm surprised what was in there, which really kind of stunned me, was Sphinx of Jarwile. Or Jarwile. Yeah. Jawar Jawar Sphinx. <laughs> I've, never, I've never seen that run in a in a Super Friends deck like that as a sideboard card, I'm like, what would he... Unless he's playing that against, I guess, the mirror matchup? Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess there's there's certain certain times when you would want to play it. Um, not just the mirror matchup, but 
there's always the random chance that even if you're not playing vampires, that you're going to come across the Blood Witch, and the Blood Witch can't handle the Sphinx. So, in fact, there's really nothing that the Blood Witch can do to the Sphinx. So you've basically got a permanent blocker against that. Um, yes. You know, there's there's a few different things, but really it can it can be in the mirror match too. The Sphinx of Jwar Isle is is a a very good card, and it's still it's always been somewhat underrated, and you know, and some sometimes it seems like maybe it's overrated, but has it ever really been overrated? You know, it's a it's a good card. It's six casting cost five five with shroud. It's a flyer. You know, it's it's exactly what you need. Though I mean, if you're comparing it to a bane slayer, it's not a bane slayer. But in a deck where you're short on creatures anyway, it's a it's a very good card. I mean, this this isn't a heavy creature deck. So, you know, you just have to look at it like, well, this is one creature that they're not going to be able to target. So if we're matching Baneslayer to Baneslayer, well, I can put this creature out and, you know, none of their spells are going to be able to hit it. And, you know, I mean, the, the disadvantage of the Sphinx is that your top card of your library is showing. Yeah, yes. that's that's really not much of a disadvantage. So, well, that's 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 what I wanted to bring up about the decks that we saw over in uh, in the uh, the the Japan PTQ, um, and like I said, the other ones there were two Titan Ramps that went head to head, three Turbo Titans, and then the Titan Force Super Friend Fred deck wins. But you were getting to the one that the PTQ in Pittsburgh, right, and Congratulations to Greg McCleary for winning. Um, no doubt about it. The deck that fascinated me was the one that came in second, and that's Fauna, Fauna Conscription. Yep. Yeah, I agree. I totally like. I said I think that the Fauna Shaman is uh, an amazing card. He basically takes all the fun parts of Conscription, and the thing about it is, is what. What I because I, obviously I did not see how he played. It's the turn six, and you have your mana, and you're sitting there with uh, a Birds of Paradise in your hand, or you draw Birds of Paradise. Okay, find a shaman, tap it, throw the Birds of Paradise out there. Oh, I'm drawing I'm drawing my sovereigns of Lost Alara now. Now I can play them. Yep. That. That can work out really, really, really well. And I, I give him a lot of credit for coming up with this deck. I think it, it has, it takes all the best things about Conscription, and he basically, and then he adds Fauna. Yeah, right, exactly. He's got, he's got multiple threats. He's got, you know, he can Fauna Shaman up the Ranger of Eos so that he can get multiple creatures out to be able to pull his Venge Vines out of the graveyard. He's got, uh, you know, he's got Jason there to be able to search up his cards. He's got uh, Seagate Oracle, which I thought was interesting. Um, but, yeah, he's he's got some, uh, and, you know, the, the rest of it is basically, you know, the, the conscription. He, he didn't put any other Eldrazi in here. This isn't, you know... There's no other Eldrazi or big beefy creatures. It's just a bunch of of uh, very efficient 
cards, very efficient cards. Oh yeah, and and he does. <laughs> there it is again. The Quali Pride Mage is a sideboard card. Um, yeah, that, yeah, exactly. This is the one I think I was looking at when I saw that. I do like that he put Linvala in there as a sideboard card. Oh yeah, yeah, I did too. I think that's very cool. The Gideon, I can understand in a certain matchup, he could bring in a Gideon and maybe drop an Elspeth in exchange for a Gideon. I can understand that. The fourth Jace, I don't know. That one I don't know about. That's so a, much, that's one of the exact thing, things I was mentioning. Is you know why do you not have it in the main deck then? Uh, when is going to be the point when you're going to say, you know what's missing? That fourth Jace. Because if you get to the point where you're saying what's missing is the fourth Jace, then you probably didn't make the build right to begin with. The only way I would say maybe that you would add it in is if you're playing against a lot of other Jaces, and you know, you're just noticing that every time you put one down, a Jace gets dropped and he gets eaten. Uh, that's I, I really can't imagine why you would you would put the fourth Jace in there. I would I would rather just use that sideboard card for something else, or just have four Jaces in the main deck. But I don't know. It's it's kind of strange to me, but you know, he he did a good job, so I can't really complain too much about it. Oh, and the other deck I want to talk about that really makes me happy because it brings a card that we talked about last week into play is the Naya Shaman that came in eighth. Hello to Swords of Vengeance. It's yep. only a one of in the deck. But it's there. It's there. And it's used with Fauna. It's used with it's a it's funny because you look at these cards and it seems like the one I'm really curious about is is the Realm Razor. Really? He runs one Realm Razor. Right. Basically eliminates all the lands until it's killed. Yep. You know, I've, that's that's a card I think that that from the time it came out, a lot of people thought that there should be a way to to exploit it. Um, I'm not sure that's ever been done really effectively, but I can say one thing about it: that's one card no one's going to see coming. So maybe that's you know how he's able to use it effectively is simply that w- when it was dropped, no one knew it was going to be coming. Yeah, because if he does that with Again, using Fauna, I drop, I get rid of a Birds of Paradise, or I get rid of a Knight of the Reliquary, or a Noble Hierarch when I don't need the mana. Right. And oh, here's my storm, and here's my Realm Razor. Boom. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, the one thing, the card that I was a little surprised that they didn't try running with Realm Razor, because you know, obviously, when it came out, I immediately thought of Realm Razor was the Primeval Titan. It makes a lot of sense that as soon as you put the Realm Razor into play, all the lands are gone and Primeval Titan starts rebuilding for you. But, you know, again, the the key with Realm Razor is one path to exile removes that problem. True. But, again, that point of the game, have you used it on something else? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. And Um, he's also got Linvala in there. Right. So if he goes... Linvala, the next turn he goes Realm Razor. You know, it's like, okay, now what does he do? I mean, 
you can see we're at the end of the game that this could be really, really, really interesting. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I just think there's very, very good ways of abusing that card, and obviously it worked. But it's fascinating to see the cards that you're seeing in these decks because it's like, again, it's another one of the person who actually took a standard deck, right? That's been played. Naya's been around for a while, boss Naya, all sorts of versions of Naya, next level Naya. And he took Sword of Vengeance, and he took Fauna Shaman, and he took a card that nobody would ever think of playing in Realm Razor, mm-hmm. and put it in there, and all of a sudden, boom, he's now top eight in a PTQ. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right, exactly. I know, it's, uh, it's pretty crazy. You know, I always wondered... If someone was going to take like a Realm Razor and try and figure out a way to get him into an Obnixilus deck or something. So just seeing him doesn't surprise me. It's just, I mean, well, I should say seeing him surprises me, but it doesn't surprise me that someone attempted to use him and make him work. And, you know, how often did he see him? We don't know. And how effectively did he get used? We don't know. But just like you said, he made top eight, so he did pretty well. Oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Um, it, it, those were the main decks that I saw from both those PTQ events that fascinated my eye. Um, I want to talk about uh, a video that was put out by by our friends at um, the Magic Show with a 52-minute interview with the Innovator. Right, with Pat Chapin. If you have not watch the full video it is a very good investment of an hour of your life (laughs) Um, he goes into everything and the thing that caught my eye that or my ear or my eye was the fact that he said he is so afraid that there is going to be no one that's going to invent decks that really? the realm of the realm, the era of deck innovation is go, is is going away because all people do is oh my god, Turbo Titans top top five PDQ. I'm just going to play that deck, right? And not look at it like you and I just did. We looked at these decks and we went, oh well, that worked, but. What if you took this out, like we do with the Red Deck Wins? What if you take the the ones out and you put in the ley lines and the sideboard? Innovating a deck instead of just deck copying it or deck teching it and just saying, I'm going to take this deck, I'm going to run with it. He In that in that interview, is, he goes through a very different part about that. Now, is that is that something that is that what he's referring to? I see it, and I do need to watch it. I agree. I, you know, anytime he he speaks, I I listen. So, um, I guess what I would say is, is he referring to minor tweaks also, or is he more referring to innovating your own deck, like from you know, like like say. Magical Christmas Land or something like that. Is he is he referring to innovating an entire deck or just making changes on an existing deck? Because most people, when they net deck, they do make little tweaks, but I wouldn't exactly call it innovation. 
you know do you, you understand where I'm going with that yeah but i do I do believe that in his case, I think he is talking about building it from scratch okay right and that's, I do that is what i I do believe is a dying art also because most people i mean how many times do you even in the casual room we were talking about this, you go into the casual room and you're you're coming across net decks and all you're trying to do is enjoy yourself with with a deck you came up with and instead you're running into you know Eldrazi or Super Friends or you know I don't I don't know what decks you've come across exactly but I know that I know what you mean you know you're you can't even play you can't even play test the deck because all you're doing is playing the top tier decks every time you go into a room and that's just casual the also other fear is is especially with something like MTGO and granted it is a wonderful thing and I enjoy it and I know you enjoy it a lot the problem with it is is now let's say you come up with something new and you play it in one of their tournaments and it works well now you've let the whole universe know <laughs> right yep I agree that is just, that's I mean, a worry for people too and it is it's a worry for me it's just that you know let's say I do hit on one of these things that you know one of these ideas well the next thing you know you turn around and and everyone's playing it and and I've had that happen and I don't ever know if it's me you know if 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 people copied something I did or if uh you know that this is something they came up with on their own because they say there are no original ideas and it's not exactly true, but it is close to being true because, you know, you may have thought about something, someone else may have thought about a similar thing in a slightly different way. And so, you know, it's hard to know who's copying who or or what have you. Well, and we've, we've also talked about this too, um, about something we want to do for the show, and that's spotlighting a, a pro player that fascinates us that right. there's a that there's a connection of why we think we would like to discuss this player and a lot of the people we talk about are the people that are out there trying to make cutting edge decks um again it, again i go back to it all the time is i think of when i think of people who make decks that are so unique and different you think of the Jerry Thompsons. You think of the Conley Woods. You know, those people that are just like, this deck is great. You know, you said Magical Christmas Land. Right. You know, there you go again. There's something that came from absolutely nowhere. Yeah, well, everyone said it couldn't be done. So, yeah. you know, and then he made it happen. It's, it's those people that he's talking about that are going away. That right. aren't going to exist anymore, and then you're left with what? If no one's inventing the decks, where does magic go? Now, do you feel that that's? Do you feel that that's just because of uh, of all the online information and the place, the resources online, and magic online, and and everyone copying off of each other, or do you feel that wizards? is making too many decks for us to where the best decks are already predetermined. Because sometimes I do feel that way. I mean, Vampires may not be the top deck out there, but it was basically created for us. Cascade was created for us. 
fairies was created for us. You know, a lot of the main decks are practically created for us, give or take a card or two. You know, I, I actually think that the metagame right now is surprisingly um, innovative, right? Because to me, there's a little bit of a tricky stuff going on right now. You know, Super Friends, a lot of people said Planeswalker decks couldn't couldn't do well by themselves, you know, and, and they're, they're winning now. Um, the mass token generating, uh, you know, Avenger of Zendikar, Eldrazi Conscription, all these things have slight innovation to them to make it feel like I, I could see that maybe innovation was dying, but at the same time, some of the stuff out there right now, you're just kind of going, wow, you know, I didn't think that was possible. Would that have been possible, you know, last set, or I mean last season? No, not necessarily, right? So so it's like, it does seem like people are finding things and fine-tuning things, and then the problem is everyone copies that, but it still has got to start somewhere. That's true, but that's the problem, is, and we experienced that last season, which was, I'm going to copy Jund, and I don't have to think about it, and I can just oh. play it. And I don't have to really think because Jun does all the work for me. Jun, right. Jun plays for me. I just have to sit there and make sure I play the cards in the right order. But that, I feel, is Wizards' fault. Whereas right now, because they created Cascade, which you don't have to have any skill to play. You have to have skill to you know, be one of the top Jun players. But Cascade itself plays itself. And these decks out now, though, they're a lot more complicated than that, which is probably why they're taking Jun down. They require more thought, they require more skill, and just your average noob can't come in and play them and be able to stomp people's faces. That's what I think he was looking for. I think he wants Magic to be... This is all from his interview and uh -huh. my interpretation of it. I'm not speaking for him. Oh, that's <laughs> all right. He doesn't mind. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Is that he wants magic to have, and I think a lot of it, a lot of it has to do, with, which is what my love of it is, is magic is magic can become. I'm going to use another reference, like chess. Right. I you consider can it that. Play chess. Right. You can play chess, and you can move pieces, and you can do basic strategy, but it's to be able to see the next step. And that's what these kind of decks are doing is they're making you see a move, a two ahead right. of where I'm playing and where I'm going to need to be. And unlike John, which is A, B, C, oh, I hit you for 12. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Right. That's what you're seeing is, like you said, is Wizards going to keep this kind of way going? Hopefully not. And and the, I guess now that you you mentioned the scars of Mirrodin booster packs, now you have to question: Are they doing that again? You know. So yeah, I I don't know. I I will have to watch that video so you know I can give more of an educated opinion on it. But uh, it sounds like he he's coming from a place. I mean, he is the innovator, right? So he does have an idea of of when it feels like things are not moving in that direction. I'm sure more than the average player would you did mention Conley and Jerry T though you know I don't, I don't mean to get off the, the Pat Chapin talk 
You know, yeah. that, that is very interesting. But you, you, I believe, did you mention something along in it, the lines of innovation between those two? I, I wasn't yes. sure what was going on with that. Yes. I mean, about people who make, I'm going to say rogue decks. Right. Because Naya didn't exist until Jerry T made it. Until Jerry T made it a go. Right. Until he made it correct. And then everybody spun their version off of it and ran with it. I think Conley's the same way. Now, did you say, though, that... It together, it comes out there. Right. Oh, no, did you say that that someone... I wasn't sure in the the notes that uh, it looked like it was saying someone's decks don't work or are not innovative enough or something? Was, Was, did someone... Well, it's basically... it's basically people, there There are no, if you look at the people that are being the innovators of this deck, uh-huh. this isn't, and, and not to say Conley's an old person, <laughs> but you're not seeing, you're not seeing the under, the young magic players, the younger magic players. Right. The ones being innovative, they're not young. They're all a little bit older, not old like me, but a little bit older, <laughs> and and they're they're from the school of. I start with a base of this is what I think should work, and a lot of people, a lot of younger people nowadays, are so used to having things set up for them, and it, it goes back to different things like even in their lives how things are kind of pre-planned for them and this is the way things go and you do it this way that you're not seeing the younger generation be the ones that come up with magical christmas land right. and stuff like that you're you're seeing seasoned magic players are the ones that are inventing it well the problem is is magic typically isn't a lifetime job and those people will eventually go away. So and basically, if they, do, they go away for a period of time and come back. We need Conley and Jerry T and Pat Chapin to put out a public service announcement for Magic to get kids to build their own decks. That's what we need. Yes. Right. So we'll just yes. have to get them on the show, and then we'll. Uh, <laughs> We'll start broadcasting for elementary schools everywhere, and uh, and then we'll change the world. I see it. Well, you know, you think about it. You talked about when you started playing. Right. Was high school. Right. And you weren't sitting there. You were taking the cards you got, and you sat there and go, how can I make it work? Mm-hmm. And nowadays what happens is, is the kid gets into it, and... This is not all examples, but let's say he's in high school and his buddies are playing it, and all suddenly he goes to mom and dad and say, "Well, dad, I want to do this." Dad runs out to the store and buys him a box and slaps it in front of him, and says, "Okay, here you go," and he starts getting with a huge base of cards and starts playing around with it, and then he goes instead of going, "Oh." Okay, and then he immediately takes what he has and he looks on the internet and goes, okay, I have these cards, there's a deck, most of those cards fit, boom. Instead of just sitting there 
like we used to, and right. going through and going, okay, I, I, I think this might work with this, and this could work with this, and not having, not using that as a full resource when they first start to play. Because then what happens is, once they start being addicted to the resource, they don't use their own thought. Right. You know what I'm saying? No, and, no, and, and I, I completely kind of agree with you. And the bad of it. Yeah. It is. It's, it is, totally. And and I do understand what you're saying. Uh, I just don't know, you know, really, other aside from from the pros that have the ability to do that, trying to open people's minds, which it's refreshing to read, like, articles on Channel Fireball and things from Conley and, and people that do innovate, trying to explain what you look for in a deck and how to make one. The people that really want to start building decks, there's resources out there. They just need to... There's there's not only the resources on how to copy what everyone else does, there's resources out there to help guide you at building and innovating your own things. So, you know, I think if people really are interested in that, you know, and if they don't know where to go, they can email us and we can you know, help guide them too. But there are places out there for anyone who's interested in actually learning to build decks also. That, that again right there is is such... It, I mean, it, it shows what a generational gap will do. Is, you know, we played it where it's like we had our cards and we had magazines. Yep. <laughs> yeah, know? exactly. We had it, we, you know... You know, and that was three months old. Yep. So you're looking at a magazine that's three months behind what's currently being played, and you're nowhere near what's being played, so you try it, and it's like, it's not what's working, and I don't know, I guess I'm... And you're selling cards for $15 less than they're worth. Oh. (laughs) Because price guides haven't updated. (laughs) Oh, don't even go there with those yeah. days. Oh man. Yeah. Took a few beatings on that. Mm-hmm. But um, I do want to. I do want to talk about um, the GP Portland. Okay. Uh, you again. It's coming up in September. September. Yeah. And you're having. You're having the grinders coming up in early August. Yeah, the first one's with August eighth, and then I do have. Um, game day is the following weekend, so uh, the fifteenth, I believe, and then the weekend after that, I have uh, the weekend of grinders, like the uh, what is it, the twenty second and twenty third, or something like that, is both Saturday and Sunday. I have a grinder, so it's going to be a whole weekend of magic there, and then. Yeah, I I believe that's... I think I might have one more possibly if I don't do well in those grinders, which I'm planning on doing well, so I won't have to go to the fourth grinder, but I do have one more option after that. Well, that's where where being connected to your Twitter account is going to be very important over those weekends because, I mean, you'll be able to at least throw us bones as far as how you're doing and, you know, I'm 1-0, you know, stuff like that. Right, exactly. And that's and where having access, and that's where having access to people like this, that are going to these tournaments on this kind of level, and that can give instant updates. I'm two, I'm two and zero, oh, and you know, 
successful against this and you know ran into this real quick just just a little blurb and let people know what's going on it can give it can almost give you the feeling that you're there oh oh yeah and yeah and for those of us who will not be there um we want that i mean i know i do and i know when i look on weekends and stuff like that and you see people i mean even even during the pre, even during the release weekend when you see the see some of the guys on twitter talking about you know oh yeah you know uh, Brian Keeler joked about um 40ing his uh his uh release thing he did and it's like well okay like this is what we expect but it's kind of cool to actually hear him say yeah oh yeah i 40ed this and da 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 you know it, right. it's those things that keep you in touch with the people that are very much interested in what's going on is going to help a lot. And but yeah, it's but it's now July 29th is when M11 is a go. M11 so is a go a, online. Yes. Oh, okay. Very so nice. My assumption is is that from the 29th until then, you'll be pounding out as many as many as you can get in between that time? Yeah, I will be doing uh, sealed tourneys uh, while I'll play the pre-releases online, of course, and then, you know, as long as those are going on, I'll be in them, and then the same when it comes to the releases and just try and get as much in as I possibly can. Um, you know, I I wish that, that, the, uh, that we were already in the season, you know, the PTQ season for, for uh, Limited, because then I would be able to, you know, start start doing online PTQs uh, for limited. But it's still in the PTQ Amsterdam season, so that's which is still cool. I mean, standard standard online PTQs are are fine, but I do enjoy the the limited the sealed deck ones a little bit more, just simply for the uh, you know once again everyone being in the same boat kind of thing. Which is why again. As, as we get closer to GP Portland and your grinders, and with the release coming up, with the release coming up, we'll be able to hear right away like what you're seeing. I mean, it's yep. going to be like it's going to be nice. You're going to say, "Oh, I did my release, and I, I managed to work my way into this, and you know, I ran into this and this." And it's going to be good because it's going to give it's going to give a lot of insight to what's going on, and I think it's definitely going to help because. We're, yeah, like you said, GP Portland, everybody's going to be in the same boat. Right. You're going to be all in the same boat together, and how it works is, you know, this is the time from there until those grinders and until GP Portland is how you're going to form what's going to happen for GP Portland. Right, exactly. And, you know, I think we should we should actually, like, possibly post... A link to you know the the deck that I ended up making, the card pool that I pulled, and then we can have you know listeners give feedback on the on you know those decks, those cards if they th- if they see something that maybe we didn't see, and give you know their opinions on it. I think that might be a good idea. Absolutely, one of the most important things you can do for this, especially now, is. Get as much feedback from as many people as possible on this because, you know, positive, negative, indifferent, whatever, you're getting more people looking at it and more people giving you 
thoughts, more people giving you opinions so you can go, I never looked at it this way. And exactly, yeah. How much of a difference does it make when you're sitting down there on at GP Portland going, this is it? You know, oh my God, yeah, now I'm looking at this card. He talked about it before. This is great. This is exactly what I'm looking for. Now I'm going to run with it. Right. Exactly, yeah. So, you know, I mean... I, I, I definitely do not believe that, you know, I know everything there is to know about magic and that I can't make mistakes. I'm I'm open to other people's opinions and to their advice if they see somewhere that I can do better. Uh, I'm not going to get better without hearing that, and so I definitely want to hear from you, from anyone that has any advice or opinion on, you know, what they see to help me make it to the next step where I need to go. So, you know. Well, speak, speaking of non-perfection, <laughs> um, <laughs> I watched today uh, Channel Fireball uh, LSV did another one of the leftover viewer email ones. Oh, okay. And the comment was, what happens when you go into an extended losing streak? And he goes, I've never been there. And, like, they left it. And then five minutes later, they come back to it and going, well, unless you include the fact that I didn't make day two of the last three GPs and <laughs> uh, I made the second day of Worlds with a two and six record, and you know, it's like, what do you do? You step back, you take a look at it, you try to figure out where you're going and assess yourself. So even people, even people like LSV, don't win every time and don't make second days every time yeah you think it's just a given no it's it's a fact and and again with any of these types of events there is a ton of skill involved because when you get to you know when you're trying to be on the pro level skill is going to get you much farther than an average person who gets lucky but there's still a ton of luck involved too it is a card game i mean you know if if you could start your opening hand with exactly the cards you wanted to every single game and then de- you know fix your deck exactly the way you wanted to every game then there wouldn't be as much luck involved but unfortunately that's not the case there's shuffling and there's just luck there's luck involved and you know it's it's just a matter of creating your own luck of putting yourself in the best possible situation to win and that's where the skill comes in so we all will get bad luck and we all will get mana screwed hence the name of the show we'll all have our moments in the sun and we'll all have our moments when we're crying in a corner somewhere because we got our face stomped by you know jund once again or whatever but you know it's it's a matter of trying to be able to work past some of the uh some of the tough spots and move on pick ourselves up dust ourselves off um, I don't know. You know, I know it's getting on near two hours here. Did you have yeah. anything more pressing? I have some comments I just wanted to real quickly read through. Yeah, uh, there, there is, there is, uh, there is one, one more little thing I want to okay. get into. Um, I, granted, yay, I top three of release party, but that, that's not what. That's not. That's no, not that's a big thing. that's pretty important though. I mean, that's what yeah. this is about, right? Well, I, I played rather ridiculous against a red white flyer deck and if I would have beat him I would have been taking home fourteen packs instead of four, but that's not the point. The point is what happened during there was one of the one of the reasons another reason why I love magic so much. 
one of the guys came in, didn't come in for the release, but it was his birthday. Okay. And he had bought two boxes and took out half of our field <laughs> for the release and did with the two boxes he bought on his birthday. Uh-huh. He played draft two-headed giant with 12 people. Wow, nice. So, happy birthday to him and what a great thing he did to have all his friends do draft two-headed giant and they got to play and they played from uh after talking to him they they started somewhere around 1 one thirty drafting and when they were all done it was like 7 8 7 7 30 at night that night wow and i think that is one of the things that really sure it was it was it kind of sucked for me cuz half the field was gone <laughs> but happy for me because it was really cool to see someone on his own birthday buy over two hundred plus dollars worth of product and tell his buddies, "Let's draft," which everybody loves to do. Let's play two-headed giant and let's just go have some fun, guys, on me for my birthday. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, if anything, it should have been people pitching in, but you know, on his own birthday to do that—that's great. You know what? If people do stuff like that, you know, that's the kind of stuff that shows you just what a different kind of community magic is. Well, I'm going to let you have your comments. I'm done. Well, no, that. I know. I, you know, I, I, I just wanted to say, you know, and I, I almost forgot about the pre-release. That's why I like to do things when we have a release or something like the day after. You know, I, I said congratulations before on Twitter, but congratulations on, on third. You know, that's it. May, you may have lost a disappointing loss to yourself, but you still got to third. And we don't we don't always you know congratulate ourselves on our successes. We always look at the failure, but you, you you should definitely you know look at that as a positive, making third, especially after neither one of us had the most exciting pre-release initial run anyway. And you know for you to come back and do that, you know I I ended up not being able to attend the release and got my face stomped by my friend's ridiculous deck uh, when we just decided to do our own sealed. But, uh, you know, there's something about a Johnny, Baneslayer, Platinum Angel all in the same pole that just is ridiculous to me. But, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's just cool to be able to come back and, you know, still take third. That still means something. That's still really good. So. Yeah, I know. And, and the problem is, is when you have any sort of competitive mojo to yourself I guess you wanna you wanna be one or two you, you wanna be playing for the win or the whatever and yeah I, I shouldn't argue third is third's very good and the loss I lost to was the guy who won the whole thing cause he had red white flyers and he had I should say white flyers with splash of red and the thing about it is is once he got the flyers going I couldn't stop him, and then he put Armored Ascension on it. Oh. And he and he has six mana out there, one red, five white. And now that 2-3 yeah. flyer is 7-8, and you're toast. Right. Well, uh, you're not the first person who's lost to Armored Ascension, so I wouldn't hold that too much against yourself. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
Okay, well here, I'll, you know, I'll get on to this, uh, to the, uh, comments here real quick so we can wrap this up. There, there was just a couple on the last show, and once again, guys, we want to encourage you to leave comments. We will definitely respond to them. We will also read them on the show, as we will email also. So, um, the first comment, Sam says, great show, guys. Really enjoyed the new co-host. Beamy reminds me of Eric from MNM which would happen to be Monday Night Magic. Just wanted to agree with Tangent about the Magic School Bus. They were the best and also one of the factors that inspired me to do my own cast. If you haven't checked it out yet, please do. We focus on being ourselves and providing entertainment for Magic players. Keep up the good work. The Force is strong with you. Sam from Raiders of Teferis Puzzle Box. Which is... um, It's a cross between one of the most vulgar shows I've ever heard... (laughs) <laughs> and also one of the funnest shows because, you know, if you can get behind some of the, um, yeah, some of the extremely vulgar humor, which is, some of it is funny and some of it is just wrong in ways I can't even begin to describe, you also get to a show that is very fun, just like he said. So, you know, you you got to get by some, some uh, a brick wall of nastiness first but once you get there you're it's pretty good well the funny thing about it is 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 they are they are definitely but what they've done is they put themselves in a unique position as far as what they present and how they present it which makes them different which makes them interesting which makes people to come back to listen oh, i agree them. i agree no no i'm not in any way shape or form putting them down i think it's i Ooh. think it's great so I think they do a good job, and I definitely recommend that as long as you are not under the age of influence, you <laughs> should go check them out. Um, the uh, Also, The Watchman, a.k.a. Mr. Suitcase, says, Thanks for the shout-out, and I'm glad you enjoyed my efforts in coverage. Good show. You guys have a good and natural dynamic, which is awesome. And we appreciate the comments. Uh, definitely helps us to improve the show, and just you know, it's it's nice to know that people out there are listening, so that the work is not in vain. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much the comments for the show. You know, we had some people chatting it up on Twitter a little bit, and you can always check that out once again. You know, tangent dyn on Twitter, and you can hit up the beamy at the beamy on Twitter, uh, or email the show manascrewed at m. Uh, sorry, I'm just learning. Uh, Manascrewed at gmail.com and also leave comments at mtgcast.com under the episode of your choice. Uh, I think that's about it for this week. Uh, you have anything else you want to say? Again, I appreciate uh, everybody listening and making comments and comments on Twitter and all that fun stuff and looking forward to already I'm already looking forward to the next week's show and this one's just ending. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Ending almost exactly two hours and I think it was a great show again, man. I really appreciate it and you know, keep up the good work and all that digging and research finding that you're doing. Hey, at this rate we're gonna be as we're gonna be going on as long as the mana pool does. Oh no, oh, wait, no, 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 that's not no. possible. Yeah. <laughs> No, we don't. We don't want to steal that thunder. Come on now. All right, hey everyone. Um, again, we appreciate you and get back to us so we can get back to you. Um, as for now, I am tangent. I'm the beamy, and we are out later. <laughs> <laughs>